Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Most of these verses will be on the screen. I want to encourage you um, to bring your Bible to church. What, what are you going to do if the lights go out? We're still going to have church. We'd be 80, 90 degrees in here. We'd still be having church. And I told y'all years ago that if the Lord didn't come back soon, we would live into the day where we saw the Bible band in this country and the state of Utah which is so shocking to me that a, the, a state where very little bit of you know crazy crime is going on was the first state in America to take the Bible out of schools and colleges um, and I can't argue with them if the law is going to they should keep it in there but it violate their law that says if it is um, graphically got some things going on that little children shouldn't be reading. And I told y'all years ago, the Bible's got incest. The Bible's got sex. The Bible's got murder. The Bible's very graphic in, in places. And I say all that to say we still can bring our Bibles to church in America. And I encourage you to do that as long as you can. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, and, and this is Paul speaking, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, I haven't always been like this. Can anybody else say that about themselves? Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for each person that's come out today. Father, I pray that you would strengthen my mouth and my mind to say things that will honor you. Anoint me to say what you'd have me to say today. Let every word that comes from this place today be sound doctrine, exalting you, lifting up the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for each person who's here. Lord, and I pray that you do what only you can do. I pray that you'd save the lost, encourage your children, restore the backslider. In Jesus' name, amen. I haven't always been like this. That, let me just jump ahead real quick because some of y'all are going to fall asleep. Listen, if you fall asleep today, I'm going to fall asleep with you. If, if you know me at all, uh, well, if you know me well, you know there's one or two nights a week since we started this church 22 years ago that I just don't go to bed. I usually don't go to bed on Saturday nights. I'm up praying all night long, um, and sometimes I get a little bit of a nap. Uh, I haven't been to bed since Friday. I already told Elder Keon if I fall asleep while I'm preaching, just roll me out of the way and keep preaching. Uh, don't, don't wake me up. I said I'm going to fake dead if I fall asleep. Uh, but it, try to... Pay attention. I want you to focus today. I want you, when you lose your focus because someone in front of you steals your focus, refocus. Say refocus. I want you to let God speak to you 
today, but the testimony of every person who's truly born again is the title of today's message. Uh, I, I see a dear friend of mine in the room today. I want to thank God for, for you, Rob Carroll, being here. I know that you can honestly say, because you've told me before, Rob and I grew up together um, and went to school together most of our lives, and I knew him then, and he knew me then, and I knew him after, and I know you haven't always been the man that you are today. And, and I thank God for people who can truly say, I haven't always been this in church every Sunday, God-loving, Jesus-loving, Bible-toting, Scripture-quoting, devil-chasing, Jesus-exalting, born-again believer. And if that's not your testimony, it should be. If you're still where you've always been, listen, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He didn't let this, this, the people of this world strip him naked, beat him, hang him on a cross uh, between uh, heaven and earth and give his life for us, rise from the dead three days later just so we could turn over a new leaf. Christianity is not turning over a new leaf. Christianity is not getting a little bit better. It's not about adding good things. Christianity is about a complete overhaul of who you are. That's why it's called the new birth. That's why, what it means to be born again, to, ha to, to have a whole new life open up to you when you have a personal encounter with the spirit of the living God through his son, Jesus Christ. Then you'll be able to say, I haven't always been like this because I, once I was lost, but now I was found. Once I was that way, but now I'm this way. I hope that's your testimony, and I hope that every day, as you're in your process, you're getting more and more like him. Because I can tell you all this, I've been saved for a long time, but I'm still in my process. Anybody? We've got to get to the place as a country where we stop looking at preachers, prophets, bishops, bobos, and hobos, and expecting them to be our standard. No one in a pulpit, no one pastoring, no one calling themselves by any religious title should be put on a pedestal. The only person the body of Christ should be looking up to and exalting is the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. All the rest of us are sinners saved by grace at best in our process becoming who God wants us to be. But the scripture tells us that when it comes to who God saved, this is why it always blows me away when I meet proud Christians. The scripture says that God didn't choose many mighty. He didn't choose many noble. He didn't choose many wise people to be his followers. He chose, you ready? The off-scouring. He chose the foolish things. He chose the lesser things. Now, if you're wondering what that word off-scouring means, if you've ever had a 55-gallon drum in your backyard, or if you, you ever had a, a bucket in your backyard and you left it alone for a while and you looked on the bottom of it, guess what's on the bottom of that barrel? Off-scouring. The scum on the bottom is, and listen, if you are saved at all, you ought to be able to recognize I couldn't handle life on my own. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't get to heaven without help. I couldn't find God without Jesus. And I need him. Oh, I need him every hour. I need him. But Paul was one of those not many. Say not many. Paul was one of those not many wise. Not many. Paul was a great man. Paul was a highly educated man. Paul grew up on the right side of the tracks. That's one thing about abundant life. Uh, can, can anybody besides me uh, testify that you didn't grow up on the right side of the tracks? You didn't grow up with a silver spoon in your mouth? Uh, you did some things that uh, you don't want everybody to know about you? I already told you, if, if, if my five worst, worst minutes 
of my life were played on this screen, y'all would leave before I got back to that side of the stage. And if the five worst minutes of your life were told on stage, you'd leave too because you'd be crawling out in shame. Hey, you can say men or you can say ouch, but the truth's the truth. Anyhow, Paul was different though. Paul was one of those few, one of those few truly amazing people that God saved. God used him to write half the books in the New Testament. And he was such a close follower of the Lord that God inspired him in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to be able to say this, be followers of me as I follow Christ. Now, some of you don't know where the conference room is. Uh, raise your hand, Elder Jimmy. But if I told everybody, follow Elder Jimmy to the conference room, you'd get to the conference room. Why? Because he knows where he's going. Paul knew what it meant to follow Christ, and he was a great example, and he was greatly used by God. But that wasn't always his story. Paul could tell you if he was here today, he hasn't always been the, the way we see him in the New Testament. He hasn't always been the way we see him traveling nation to nation, establishing churches, overseeing governments of churches, and, and building the body of Christ. He used to be bad. Say bad. Now, we're going to talk a little bit today about the power of a testimony um, and, and how you can develop your testimony and how you can share your testimony everywhere you go. Because here's the reality, and especially at a place like Abundant Life. Because we're a multi-generational, multi-racial, multi-denominational church. People think we're not, we're not non-denominational, we're multi-denominational. We got Episcopalians, we got Catholics, we got Baptists, Methodists, Church of God, Church of God by faith, Church of God in Christ, Church of God by the river on Sunday morning, baptized in Jesus' name only. We, I mean, it, we got all different types of people that come here. And I've told you from day one, it's okay for us to disagree on certain things as long as we agree that the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Did that air not come on? Is it on? Do I just need to get, just take all these clothes off so I can cool down? Uh, Joyce is fanning hard, and she's usually wearing a blanket. Uh, Y'all pray for the preacher. Um, I think it's a lack of sleep that's made me dizzy. <laughs> but Paul learned what it was like to be a changed man. And he went around telling his testimony to everyone. And I want you to learn how to tell your testimony because here's the reality especially in a church as mixed as our church, different backgrounds, different denominations, um, people think different things. Listen, people can argue with you about your theology. And there are people that know way more about theology than me or you and anybody we've ever met, and they can argue you into the ground and uh, just tell you you're wrong and give you 7,000 reasons why. But you know what they can't argue with you? They can't argue about your testimony. If, if somebody was to try to come to me and tell me that Jesus Christ is not alive, that Jesus Christ does not save people, that Jesus Christ is not seated at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercessions for us, if somebody was to try to tell me that Jesus can't take a broken down, uh, dysfunctional boy from the west side of Jacksonville and save him and use him for his purpose, they're too late. They're too late because I've already seen it. I've already lived it. I already know. And I want you to be able to share your testimony with people because if, if all you do is try to Bible beat people, if all you do is try to bash people's lifestyle, number one, that's not what Jesus did, and it's not effective. So Paul was a great Christian, but in verse 13, he said, I used to be a blasphemer. And in verse 15 of the text I read before I prayed, he said he was the top dog 
sinner. He said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, I am of the persuasion, and our church leadership is completely sure that every word in the Bible is right. Every word in the Bible is inspired. God breathed these. People say, well, it's a book written by men. Listen, if I told you right now to pick up a pen and say red, white, write down red, white, and blue, you might have been the one to move the pen, but there were my words. Do you follow me? God gave us these words, and I've told you for years, anytime I see something in the Bible that I can't understand that, that seems uh, like, like, hmm, okay, like what, preacher? Well, God said no one had seen him at any time and lived. But he also said Moses saw the Lord. Is that a contradiction? No, because there's different ways to, if I see you walking out of this church and all I see is the backside of you, I can say I saw you, but I didn't really see you. So anytime the Bible looks like it's saying something uh, that I don't get, I know it's, a, it's not a problem with the text. It's a problem with my mind. It, there's no fault in God's word. There's fault in my comprehension. And this is one of those verses. I look at that, and I see, I see Paul saying that he is the chief of all sinners. I'm thinking, man, you didn't grow up on the west side of Jacksonville. If he'd have showed up at the Pizza Hut on Friday night, he'd have learned some stuff, wouldn't he, Rob? He, he, he would have said, hey, there were some real sinners at the Pizza Hut on Friday night uh, on the west side of Jacksonville and in other places as well. But we know that Paul was a changed man. Everywhere he went, he told people his testimony. Some, some singing group, every year I forget who it is, um, but they stole it. Who, who sings that song, Rick? Blinded by the light. Somebody tell, I know y'all listening to it. Who? Who? Manfred Mann group. Whoever. They stole that out of the Bible. All the, all, a lot of these secular songs, they, 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 they just thought, oh, well, the Bible's the most powerful book ever written. Let me take a piece of that and throw some music to it and watch people gravitate toward it. Uh, the person who truly was blinded by the light in Scripture was the Apostle Paul. And I want you to understand this. If you miss everything, don't miss this. Because I believe this is the difference between people who stay fired up for God and people who fizzle out. People who stay fully engaged in, in uh, investing in their spirituality, their intimate relationship with Christ on a daily basis. Here's what I believe the difference is between the ones that do and the ones that don't. Paul had it figured out. He never forgot and he never got over what God did for him on the road to Damascus. And some of you have forgot. Some of you have even worse gotten over it. And some of you haven't had it happen. But I want you to develop uh, an ability to do what the scripture tells us to do which is to go out and share the good news with every creature on the planet he never forgot and he never got over what happened to him on the damascus road and in acts 22 he tells the story to festus the governor and then in acts 26 he retells the story again just four chapters later to king agrippa with festus sitting there watching now, some of y'all that have been here, because every year around July 15th, I preach this testimony uh, sermon because I don't ever want to forget and I don't ever want to get over what God did for me on July 15th, 1981. I don't ever want to forget and I can't get over the change that God made in my life. But some of you have heard this July 15th 
uh, around that date message before, and I usually read through the entire uh, chapter of Acts 26, and we play it out like a movie. Because y'all know I love to make uh, Gerard Butler the good guy and Joaquin Phoenix the bad guy. Uh, and I'm telling you, you go home and read Acts 26 and tell me if Festus, if Joaquin Phoenix wouldn't play a good Festus. He was a hater and he was a villain. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a little different lean this morning. But Paul constantly told his testimony. In Acts 26, 9, he said, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Now, most people that did what some of us did, and I love X-rated Christians, not X-rated like a movie rating, but X-rated. I'm talking about X, ex-alcoholics, ex-drug addicts, ex-fornicators, ex-pimps, ex-hoes, ex-evil people, ex-lost people. I, I love some X-rated people. And he said, man, I used to do some stuff. Uh, most of us, the stuff we did wasn't nearly as, as vicious as what the Apostle Paul did. Wasn't nearly as harmful to the body of Christ as what the Apostle Paul did. But it was his testimony and he told it everywhere he went. In verse 10 he said, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. So here's Paul. He's working for the government. He's walking around with warrants for arrest, imprisonment, and execution of anybody following Jesus. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I've done done some shameful things in my life, but I have never uh, given my consent to killing someone just for being a Christian. If you think that, that, that may put Paul right there at the chief, of all sinners, but that was his life before Christ. Now imagine this. Here's Paul going around for years, uh, executing, having executed people, watching them, serving papers on people, putting people in prison, and then just a matter of years later, he's standing up as the chief apostle starting churches. Could you imagine if the person that killed your parents came in here today and said, hello, my name is Ray Ray, and I am the new pastor, and y'all going to listen to me preach the Bible today. Let, let, me, let me help some of y'all out in a different way. Uh, let, let, me, let me talk to African-American people. If the, if the grand wizard came in in full regalia, pointy hat on, looking like a fool, and he said, I'm the new pastor, uh, let's take an offering. Uh, you giving him any money, Cheryl? <laughs> Rayon? He can't get it. Uh, oh, well, let me help some, some of uh, D. Whitman out. Y'all don't know who D. Whitman is. That's code for the white man. Uh, D. Whitman, if a militant, and you can look this dude up, if the Philadelphia leader of the new Black Panther Party came in here and showed you his clip or said what he said, you can look him up on YouTube saying, some of y'all are going to have to kill some crackers. Some of y'all are going to have to kill some of these little white babies. Uh, if he came in there, would, 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 would that unsettle you, Franny, if, he, if, if somebody was preaching from a pulpit saying we got to go out and kill babies? Listen, this is how they felt about Paul. They're like, this is the man that kill, had our family members killed for no crime other than following Jesus. And now he's, he, God raises him up to be the Listen, not one pulpit search committee in America would hire this guy. 
because they'd be too focused on what he was and not what he is. And God's concerned with what you are. God's a right now God. And Paul was doing some horrible things before his conversion. In verse 11, he said, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. Now, you guys have been in, in church leadership since I met you. And if the pulpit search committee was looking for a new person and you found out, you know, that he had killed Christians and you know, he probably wouldn't get a real interview. And God, listen, if you don't hear anything, hear this. God uses who he wants to. And nobody's done too much to be used by God. And nobody's sinned too much to be saved by God. And everybody that God saves needs to learn how to tell their testimony. He, he said in verse 12, he said, One day I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and commission of the leading priests, about noon, your majesty. He's talking to King Agrippa, which is dangerous. Say danger. It's dangerous because addressing the king in this time could get you killed. Saying the wrong thing to him would almost surely get you killed. But how many of y'all know when, when God empowers you to say something at the time he wants you to say something, if you'll just do what God called you to do, he'll either protect you or deliver you straight on up to heaven. You don't have to be scared of what people can do for you if you know that you got God on your side. And he said to the king, he said, Your Majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic. Pause right there. I've been telling you for years. Learn to read the Bible and pay attention to the punctuation. When you read, pay attention to the punctuation. That's in any piece of literature. It'll help your comprehension. You see a comma, that's cause for pause. Don't, don't speed read the Bible. Don't, don't just say, I got to get my chapter in today. You'd be better off to, to understand one small phrase in the Word of God and apply it to your life than to just go home and read the Bible in the 72 hours it would take you to read the Bible. But pay attention to the punctuation. It'll perfect your understanding. He said, we all fell down. So everyone that was with him fell down. But look at the next phrase. Because you got to learn how to take the Bible phrase by phrase, word by word. Take it in bite-sized pieces so it can get down into your spirit and you can learn it, understand it, and live it. He said, everybody fell down and I heard a voice. Who heard the voice? Paul heard the voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. God sent me here today to tell you whatever God's calling you to do, uh, it's useless to fight against his will. Whatever God has told you to do and you haven't done it yet, it's so funny. People have developed these non-theologically correct terms. Well, pray for my son. He's running from the Lord. You can't run from the Lord wherever you run to. He's still there. <laughs> the Bible says if you go to the highest mountain or the deepest ocean, he's already there. But he said it's useless to fight against my will. In verse 15, Paul says, who are you, Lord, I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Ooh. Oh, I need you to get this. I need you to follow along. Focus on what God is saying. Paul thinks he's right. Paul is following his religion. His Jewish religion. Paul is doing what he feels is right 
as a follower of God, but it wasn't right. See, you can be sincere and wrong. That just makes you what? Sincerely wrong. And Paul was sincerely wrong, and he didn't expect what he heard when Jesus said, when Jesus told him, I'm Jesus, the one you dedicated your life to, to stop him, and the one you are persecuting. In verse 16, says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world what you have seen. And what I will show you in the future. One of the things I tell you all the time is that if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And that if you see how God worked then, you'll know how he works now. Because we have these stories for our what? For our examples. So that we can learn. Because the way God dealt with Paul 2,000 years ago is the same way he's going to deal with you today. And if it worked for them then, it'll work for us now. And just like God wanted Paul to tell the world what you have seen and what I'll show you in the future. God wants you to go out and tell the world what you've seen in Christ and the things that God is going to show you in the future. In verse 27, he said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Then listen to what he says. I know you do. Oh, that's trouble. That, that, that is trouble now he's making assumptions on what the king believes but if you read the entire chapter paul chose to speak in a trial setting on his own behalf and he said he was happy that king agrippa was hearing it aka not festus because they already tried that hard head and he knew that king agrippa was well versed in the prophecies about the messiah and he said do you believe the prophets and he said I know you do. If I could talk to every person in the room, it's not truly born again right now. If I asked, do you believe in Jesus? I know some atheists. I know some agnostics. I, I think they're wildly wrong. Um, but they have to believe in Jesus. You, everybody in the world believes in Jesus Christ, a teacher, prophet, healer that lived in the Galilee region 2,000 years ago. There's been more books written about Jesus than any other human being in the world. Um, there, there's, the proof is so evident. Our calendar is set up on him. No matter what this current generation tries to do, and it's just mind-blowing to me, as you get older, you, you'll see the folly of things that change for the worse. Amen? See, up until a few years ago, we had B.C., which stood for before Christ, and uh, now this next one's going to be harder. Some of the smart people tell let me get over here by Connie. She's brilliant. And we had A.D. What's A.D. stand for? Thank you, Elder Keon. Anani Domini, which means after death. Um, or that's what we made it mean because it had the same amount of A and D in it. <laughs> so the whole calendar was set up on him. Now... Because America's lost its mind, uh, they've changed B.C. to what? B.C.E. Before the common area. Before the common era. Well, what's the common area? Era. Before Christ. Well, it's hard to talk when you're tired. But let's keep moving. He said, I know that you do. Everybody believes in Jesus, but everybody doesn't believe that God raised him from the dead. See, I know you believe that there was a man named Jesus. If you're unsaved, 
Uh, you'd be silly not to believe this historical figure lived. Uh, you just haven't come to the realization yet that he lived a perfect life. He died on a cruel cross for your sins, and three days later he raised himself from the dead. That's the difference between the saved and the lost people in the room. In verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him. See, now Agrippa's just been eating everything Paul's been saying up until this point because Paul was super intelligent. Uh, he got good sleep at night, so he knew how to put his words together. He didn't get his merge wixed while he had a microphone in his hand. And Agrippa was listening, but now he's crossed the line by assuming, I know you believe all this stuff, Agrippa. And Agrippa interrupted him and said, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Oh, man, I see that same indignation in the looks of people's faces, especially around Christmas, Easter, or Mother's Day. Because y'all know that's when everybody comes to church. Everybody shows up, and I see that, that look. I'm only here because my wife made me come. I'm only here because my mama made me come. I'm only here because grandmama said it's the Mother's Day present. Pastor told her to throw in your face so you'd have to come. People sit in churches today and think, uh, you don't really think I'm going to buy this right off the rip? Uh, man, I sure hope so. I'm not selling anything, and you don't have to buy it. Salvation's a free gift to anybody who would believe. And I feel like Paul felt, and I want you to get this feeling deep on the inside of you when you share your testimony with people. Paul replied in verse 29, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. He said, yeah, I want you to become a Christian. I want all y'all to become Christians. And that is our heart's desire. It's my prayer today that everyone who hears me would become the same as I am. I, I, I don't mean uh, five foot nine and a half cute and cuddly. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean a country as a chicken foot. I mean saved. Someone who truly understands what it means to be born again. See, I love the Lord even even in, with all the mistakes that I've made in my life because I know he saved my soul. I know he changed me. I know that I'm born again this morning, and I'm going to spend some time sharing my testimony with you because yesterday, whoo, getting old when you put numbers like this together, yesterday was my 42nd spiritual birthday. Somebody ought to thank God. Here's the thing. We don't have the best facilities. We don't even have the best dirt of the dirt parking lot for churches. Uh, we don't have the best preacher. We don't have the best singers. We don't have all of, amen. We don't have a lot of things that other churches have. But one thing I'm grateful for, I am sure that I'm sure. I know that I know this church has a pastor that is truly born again, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Too many churches are being pastored by professional speakers and professional uh, Bible students that never received Christ. Jesus said, I told you yesterday is my 42nd spiritual birthday. If you don't know what a spiritual birthday is, Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 3, he was talking to Nicodemus, and he said, you must be born again. A lot of people think born again is some kind of Baptist term or Protestant term. I know a lot of Catholics, I've had a lot of Catholics ask me, are you one of those born again Christians? And I'm going to tell you something, that's the only kind there is. 
the only kind there is. Jesus said, you can't enter into heaven without being born again. So my natural birthday is on August 6, 1963, but my spiritual birthday, the day that God came alive to me and brought me alive to him is July 15th, 1981. And for 25 years of my salvation, all of July was like a party. Some of y'all, uh, some of y'all do y'all's natural birthday like that. Uh, we don't really celebrate birthdays in, in my house the same way most people do. Um, people ask me, uh, y'all know what I want for my birthday? Tell them, Dina. What I want for Christmas. Now, if I wanted, I'd already have it. I don't want people I love to spend money on me. We don't do birthdays the, the way a lot of people do birthdays. But some of y'all, oh, man, I've heard some of y'all talk about it. I don't just have a birthday. I have a birthday week. Uh-huh. And I heard that one before, too. Some of y'all are like, week? I'm special. I have a birthday month. Oh, for the first 25 years of my salvation, I had a spiritual. July, I was just, whoo, I was on cloud nine. You know why? Because I always pressed in uh, into my relationship with God. And he, he he's always honors his promise. And he said, if you draw close to me, he'll draw close to you. Uh, another song they ripped off. Who sang that song? Darling, if you want me to be, get closer to me. Who knows? Oh, I know who did that. Uh, the dude that, that married Marilyn McCoo. Billy Davis and Marilyn McCoo. Anyway, every July, the whole July for the first 25 years of my salvation, that month of July, oh, I was so I was I was so much more humble. I was deep in my word. I was just thankful because I, I haven't forgotten. I haven't got over what God did for me on July 15, 1981. Then 17 years ago today, something happened that changed some of that feeling for July. 17 years ago today, my wife died in a hospital bed with me and those two people right there, holding on to her, loving her, praying for her. That's her mom and dad, if y'all hadn't figured that out. Come on and give God praise for parents that love the Lord, that teach their children to love the Lord. That's Gail's brother right there, sister-in-law, nephew, best friend from kindergarten. When, when, did, when did you first meet her? Seventh grade. Oh, you were Johnny come lately. Something in Marietta girls. Uh, Connie knows that, that Dana chick was around forever. Uh, but you... Oh, let me just say this. I've told you this many times. I'm going to tell you in front of all these people. She loved you so much. And I thank God for you being here. But 17 years ago today, in hospice of Jacksonville, uh, Gail left this planet, and she went to heaven. And so now, when I'm rolling up on the middle part of July, I got two things that, that, are, that are pulling my emotions. Uh, I've, I've got the greatest day of my life. I've got the worst day of my life. And that's why when, when I tell you, I'm not telling you what I've heard. I'm telling you what I know. I know what it's like to hold on to God on good days, bad days, happy days, and sad days. You can't just be one of these casual Christians because that's a myth. There's no such thing as a casual Christian. Jesus said, if you 
start following me, and you even look back, you're not even worthy to be called my disciple. I know what it's like to hold on to God on the bad days, and I want to tell you what I've told my kids. Uh, my sister and I were talking about this not too long ago, because everybody in this room had something bad happen to them in life, and if you haven't, keep living. Um, I tell my kids growing up, because it, it, it changed everything about my life the day she died. Uh, Seth was two, Jake was four, about to turn five. And so it, it, it really changed a lot of stuff. And I tell them, you know, we had something really bad happen to us a long time ago. But God's done a lot of good things for us before, during, and after. Can anybody give God thanks for good things, even in the midst of hardship? So July, um, and it's all because I've allowed it to be, and I want to repent of that today. Um, I've allowed it to be the most painful month of the year for me for 17 years. I've allowed it to be the most depressing month of the year for me for 17 years. I've allowed it to shut me down emotionally for the last 17 years. I've still got, uh, see, she died, and almost everything, every piece of furniture I owned was bought before she died because I can't, I can't throw it away. Um, I got a 2007 uh, Camry in my driveway that Seth has inherited, passed down 12 times, um, uh, that I bought in 2006. I got a 2007 Navigator that I bought in 2006. Um, and in a lot of ways, I made a bad choice to let a horrible event shut me down. In, in ways that I shouldn't have. And I want you to know, no matter what you go through in life, if you'll allow God to comfort you, he will. Because our Bible tells us that the God we serve is the God of all comfort, and he is there for us in our time of trouble. <laughs> See, everybody's going to have some big days in their life, some defining moments that God uses to shape us, to take us from one part of life to the next. Man, if this was Wednesday night, we'd just go around the room and we'd have people shout out big days, that you graduated high school, that you graduated college. Uh, some of y'all would shout out some, you know, first time you tried Coke uh, or, or crack. Uh, keep that to, hey, the Bible, I'm going to help some of y'all right now. This ain't even in my notes. You, you want a good Bible verse to escape some stuff? Proverbs 12:23 says, a prudent person conceals knowledge, but the mouth of fools just tells everything. Some stuff you ain't supposed to tell. But we, we have these big days in our life, and I was thinking this week about the seven biggest days in my life. It was the day I was born, the day I was born again, the day I married the greatest woman I ever met, the day Gail and I started this church on June 6, uh, tw uh, 2001, 22 years ago, the day Jake was born, the day Seth was born, and the day Gail left this life to be with God. And I want to say this, and, and this is the part I told you I wanted to wanted to say today see because I would not I invited some people here today because I told them I was going uh, to share some things about Gail and I wanted them to be here I would never take uh, a, a, an entire platform on a Sunday morning uh, uh, and take the the time away from God just to talk about a person and Gail wouldn't want me to steal uh, the time just to exalt her because I already told you we're here to exalt Jesus. But I'm going to tell you some things about her real quick because some of y'all didn't have the, pre the pleasure or the privilege to meet her. Was she worth knowing, Tammy? Amen. 
you can make me cry. So before I get into my testimony, I want to share with you something because I want to obey God. And I've told you before that God says that we should give honor to whom honors do. And I want to take this time to say thank you and give honor to some of the most honorable and important people in my life. And that's always for me going to start with Gail. Uh, I've got four pictures. Some of y'all know because y'all blow my phone up all the time. If you call me, you know I'm sitting in my brown chair reading. So it's all I do. I don't play golf. Uh, you can look at me until I don't go to the gym. Um, I'm sitting in my chair reading 14, 15, 16 hours a day. And from where my chair is, I can see four pictures of Gail. Um, and she still is such a huge part of my life. And so I want to start by thanking God for allowing somebody like me to meet such a wonderful human being and putting it in her heart to honor my request to be my wife. Uh, you, you missed out if, if you didn't know her. You really, really did. But I want to share some things about some important people in my life, obviously starting with her, most amazing person I've ever known. And I want to say this. I've said it uh, forever, and I'm going to say it again publicly. Gail Kite Becker was not only a better person than me, which she surely was. She was a better Christian than me. She was a better parent than me. She was a better human being than me. She, she was the most amazing person. How many of y'all know good-looking people are usually stuck up and not worth knowing? You hear somebody say that somebody's just as pretty on the, on the outside as they are on the inside. That girl's usually ugly. Let me help you fellas. If, 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 if somebody, friend or family, tries to set you up with a girl and you say, well, what's she look like? And they say, oh, she's got a great personality. She's beautiful on the inside. Pass. Nope. You're about to catch an L behind that. That's a, that, nope, nope. You know, that's a, that's a loss right there. But she truly was uh, so physically beautiful on the outside, but so amazingly kind and beautiful on the inside as well. I, wa I want to show some pictures of her this morning. and this is, I, We've never done this before, and I just felt led to do it, so I'm going to do it. Um, this picture right here, my life was perfect. The most perfect it had ever been. This was the most perfect my life had ever been. I cropped it out. Uh, J Jake, Jake was a little kid right then. He had been born. We were still waiting on Seth, and I, it's before I broke my back twice and my neck once. It's before my heart got ripped out of me and before I made a bad decision to shut down the majority of my life and live on a limited basis. I was married to a woman that was so far out of my league that I, I just laughed every day. So, some of y'all don't believe it when I, when I tell you, Gail and I never had an argument. We never raised our voice at each other. There was never a slam door. We laid in our bed every night and we ate ice cream. Ben and Jerry's cherry chocolate chip. One night we were laying in bed. It's like hundreds of nights in a row we've been eating the same ice cream. And I looked at her. She said, this ice cream's kind of old, isn't it? I said, I'm just thinking that. The, our relationship was so amazing. And if you know me, you know that was because of her and not me. It's okay to say amen. Say it, Connie. Amen. You know it's the truth. Um, 
But such an amazing time. Uh, the doctors told us we'd never have a baby. So we, we tried artificial insemination. We tried in vitro fertilization. Uh, then we just decided what a lot of Christians decide. We'll just be, you know, spiritual parents. And we'll, you know, be role models to little, little kids and people. Uh, and then out of the blue, boop, there comes Jake. Uh, and then there came Seth. And life was so amazing. I did not know the pain then uh, that I had to experience throughout time. Show me another picture, Rick. Oh, that's, that's right beside my chair. You see my reading lamp. Um, that was, see, back in the day, I don't even know if people still do this anymore. Back in the day, if you were going to get married, you had to dress up and go to a photographer for your, you know, your pre-wedding photos. And uh, that, that was our pre-wedding photo. Now, here's what, here's what I want you to see. Because, uh, hey, I got no heat on people that have Eric Estrada teeth. Amen? I'm not mad at you. Uh, praise the Lord. You, you got a lot of money, you put it in your mouth. Amen? Look at the brightest. These are natural. Th thank her mom and daddy for paying for braces for her because they didn't always look like that, did they, Con? That's the brightest, most all natural teeth. This woman was just possessed with the best hair, the best smile, the best everything. And man, life was just incredible. Uh, she prayed for me every day. She encouraged me every day. She, she made me happy, and she made me better. Show me another picture. Oh, there it is. You, 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 you want to wonder why my kids' eyebrows are so thick? There it is. You wonder why my kids are so good looking? There it is. Right there. Now, let me say this to all the brothers in the room, only to single guys, okay? Because if you're married, God's plan for you is one husband and one wife for life. And if you've already done the deed, you're stuck like Chuck. But let me say something to the single brothers in the room. And I ain't telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. Any man that cannot marry above his head, way over, if you can't outkick your coverage with the woman that you married, you got nothing going on. You ugly, you got no swag, you got no money, you got no person, you got nothing. Every man ought to be able to outkick his coverage. Am I right or wrong, Jimmy? All right, come on now. Show me another picture. Some of y'all so so bent. When are we going to get back to the Word? Oh, I'll keep here to 4 o'clock. We're going to get to the Word. I blame them every week. I just got to talk to Connie about this. I always call Connie when I'm in a mess. Every time I tell the staff that if I pre – because the average sermon in America is like 25, 30 minutes. My average sermon is about an hour 10. And I tell them all the time, if y'all would stop telling me that you'd stay if I preached till 3, we'd start getting out by noon. Oh, no, we want – listen, stop saying that. Uh, I'm not going to keep you here till 4 o'clock. Look at that young dude right there. Wow. Well, she had a great smile, didn't she? Just amazing. Most amazing woman I ever met. Is that the last picture, Rick? We got another one. Mm, that's the day we became parents. You remember that day, Mama? Mama, I, I thought my mama was crazy as a June bug. You, you remember that day, Connie? So I thought my mom was crazy because we're in the room. Now, I don't know about you. Men, stay up by the shoulder. 
okay? I grew up playing baseball. I was a catcher. I wasn't about to get down there. Mm -mm. I, I stayed up by the shoulder while, while the baby was coming out. My mom was looking this way from the foot of the bed. The boy barely got his head out. And my mom screamed, Oh, my gosh, she looks just like Scott. I thought I was. I had prayed for nine months that this baby would have my intellect and her looks. She was the greatest person I ever met. She wasn't your smartest child, though. <laughs> she had other strengths. Uh, and my, but my mom, I'm like, oh, mom, don't, we got people in here. You know, that's just, like, that's just like a parent. But then we went home. My mom dug out some pictures of when I was a baby. And you can't tell them apart. So it was that day I learned my mom's not crazy after all. <laughs> oh, man. It's been a long 17 years. But I thank God that he has held to his word. And he said he would never leave us or forsake us. Is anybody glad for a staying God, a covenant-keeping God? Got a couple other people, then we're going to get into the text. My mother, who's here today, wave at everybody, Mama. Uh, she's always here. Uh, she taught me to value hard work and discipline. My sister sitting right next to her, wave at everybody. Our church administrator, hardest working woman in show business. Uh, she's the smartest. She's she been my lifelong role model and the smartest person I've ever known. Uh, Gail's mom and dad, Billy and Connie Kite. Wave at everybody, y'all. See, they ain't used to some preacher telling them to do stuff from the pulpit. <laughs> um, without a doubt, these two people have amazed me more than anybody I've ever met. The love that pours through all that they are and all that they do, their enduring commitment to God and their family and hardships has been the greatest example of endurance and love that I've ever seen in my whole life. And they represent everything good that I want to be. And I love you too, so much. She's just like you. See, I tell my boys, don't you dare marry a woman that doesn't love her mama. You marry a woman that grew up on her mama's apron, and her daddy was her hero, and you were her hero. And you're the best people going. And I thank God for the way you love people, you love our family, and you love our God. My mother taught me some of the greatest advice I've ever heard, and you've heard me say it before, but I want you to get this. My mother taught me, and I've been trying to tell you guys this for 22 years. She said, send me my flowers while I'm living. Please don't wait to love the people that you love. Please don't wait. Grab hold of them today. Kiss them. Hug them. Tell them they're precious. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that they're everything to you. Because I, I can tell you this, some of us can't do that. And if you've got the people in your life that mean something to you, you need to send them flowers while they're living. My sister's taught me more about real love than anybody I've ever known. A, lo a, a, a love that doesn't give up on people even when they fail. She has loved me through more 
things than you could possibly imagine. Um, you know, sometimes people get mad at the church uh, or mad at the preacher and leave the church. That's not just abundant life. That's every church. Um, and every time somebody leaves, I thought, over that? Man, y'all all know what I've done to my sister. She's still here. What's wrong with you people? She is so kind and so loving, and she has taught me what it truly means to stand by people no matter what. A love that sees the best in people. Let's don't give up on the people that we love. Stop canceling people because they don't agree with you. Stop, stop taking a, a, a segment of something someone is and, and thinking that's the totality of what they are. None of us are completely the worst of what you've seen in us. And we need to learn how to not throw people away and love the people that we love. We need to commit our lives uh, to, to, to be like Billy and Connie. They've heard so much about y'all. I, I use y'all in stories all the time. I don't even know if you remember. Oh, I don't know if you remember because I forget and you're older than me. There was a time, and you've seen me break down so many times and be so sad and you've always been such a comfort to me and such a rock and one time I was crying and talking to you and I said I just I just don't know how you do it I don't know how you stay so positive you stay so upbeat you stay so optimistic you just encourage people everywhere you go when sometimes it's all I can do to stop crying long enough to get up and leave my house I don't know if you remember that, but you told me, baby, don't you think I cried too? Well, God wants us to live a life to honor him. And we'll see her again one day. And I thank God for that. God has put some amazing people in my life. And, and that's why I wanted to take today and just honor people that have honor. As I was thinking about all these amazing people in my life, I thought, how shocking is it? I shocked myself sometimes at how hard I can be when God has put so many loving, good, kind, decent people in my life. And I'm thankful for the comfort that God has allowed me to receive from him and from his people. Not just them, but to the people in this church who stood by me in trying times through successes and failures. And I want to say this from my heart, and I mean this. It's not preacher speak. This, this, is, this isn't something to say just, just to say it. I, I really, really, really mean this, and I want you to hear it. I want to apologize to everybody in this room or hearing this message. For everything I've ever said or done that hurt you, that caused you disappointment in me, that, ca that caused you any pain in any way, that made you think less of me, and I want to thank you for your forgiveness. Because there are people in this church that have stayed by me when they could have left. And I believe the words of Jesus Christ were true when he said it and they're still true today this is how everybody will know that you really follow jesus not by how often you go to church not by how big of a house you live in not by your resume but how you love other people and i want to thank god for putting good decent loving people in my life and i love you and i thank god for you see what binds us together as family is not whether you knew gail or whether you know my mom's sister billy connie robbie uh his, his wife and son are here today uh, here's the brain trust in the family right here. If you ever need a, a civil engineer, uh, he charges $17,000 an hour, and he does some side work if you need it. Um, it's not if you know these people that 
makes us one. Do you know Jesus? The Bible says we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you have faith in Christ Jesus and another person has faith in Christ Jesus and God is your father and he's their father, that makes us brothers and sisters. And so to finish this off, I want to say thank you to the one true and living God, Jehovah, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who saved me and loves me still. I told you about the importance of sharing your testimony. Um, so let, let me jump into it. This, some of this stuff, you, you know, I was born August 6, 1963. I'm going to be 60 years old. Did you hit 60 yet, Rob? You're, you're two more months. Um, that's a long time ago. I told you July 15, 1981, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. November 11th, huge day of my life. I married the, the woman of my dreams. Um, she broke up with a professional baseball player who was six foot five to date a little guy like me. <laughs> told you she wasn't your smartest kid. <laughs> That's just the grace of God. July 16th, she went home to be with the Lord. And my life's been shaped by the course of some of these events. And the Bible tells me that no matter what I go through, and no matter what you go through, we should always be ready to give an answer to anyone who would ask us about the hope that's in us. Because I want to tell you something. Uh, you need to get to know some people like this front row. You need to get to know some people like my friend Rob Carroll. You need to get to know some people who have been through more and seen more pain and hurt that you've ever witnessed in your life. But still, their hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And you ought to learn how to cling to God in the midst of difficulty. I grew up in church. My mama had me in church. I told y'all when, when I was a baby a couple of days old, uh, I think this is the problem uh, one of the problems with the Catholic Church, I'm not hating on anybody, but if you hand a man who's not allowed to have a wife, a little boy dressed in a white dress, they, they might get their head mixed. Uh, so they put a little white dress on me. I don't know why they, uh, you know, want full length. It's not a dress, it's a tunic. Y'all don't remember that. Uh, watch some good movies, you'll remember. Chris and me in the Catholic Church, uh, sent us to Catholic Church, but then when I was really little, my parents got divorced, and they kicked us out, and we left. We were living in uh, England at the time, and we moved back to America uh, to live with my mother, and sister, and her family, um, which was, a, was an adventure in itself. I'm not going to take the time to tell you about it, but Dean and I rode the bus in Virginia to a church called Grace Brethren. Um, church dina on the front right hand corner of my desk is something i forgot to get go get it seth go go, go get my red bible um and they gave me this little red bible i'll show it to you in a minute um i, I fought the deacons and the elders of the church i told them that i haven't slept and I, I was forgetful today so it's all and to be praying that god wouldn't let me forget anything from the pulpit but i i grew up uh riding the bus as a little kid, going to this church up in Virginia, and when I was in the third grade, I walked the aisle in that church, and I told the preacher I want to go to heaven. And we prayed a prayer, and we back, 
and, and I got baptized, and they gave me a little red Bible. I walked down the aisle. He said, why are you coming today, boy? I said, I want to get saved. He said a few things. He said, well, pray this prayer after me. I prayed the prayer after him. I shook his hand. He turned me around, and he said, this is little Scotty Becker. And he comes today to make his public profession in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you rejoice in his decision today, why don't you let it be known by saying amen? And all those people said amen to me, and I didn't know, is this a cuss word? I didn't know why they were saying amen, uh, but it, it, it means I agree. Let it be so. Uh, that's your co-sign on it. But then in 1975, we left Virginia, and we came to the west side of Jacksonville. Uh, and we rented a house for a while off 103rd and Hillman, and then we uh, had a house built in Country Creek, and I grew up in Country Creek right off Normandy Boulevard where the old famous Amos is. And we were playing out in the street one day on a Saturday. And I don't even know if he was ever really fat. I don't know why we called him fat. Was he fat back then? I don't know why. It was Keith Willoughby. Um, uh, the, the, there was a, what? Yeah, there was a guy at West Normandy Baptist Church um, named Jack Rickenback, and all the kids, it was evil. How many of y'all know church kids can be evil, too? Just hold on to this key thing, boy. Thank you. This is a little red Bible they gave me when I walked the aisle, prayed a prayer, and got baptized in Virginia. Guess what? I walked an aisle because I was confused. I prayed a prayer that I didn't understand. I got baptized in water that didn't mean anything to me, and I was still just as lost after all that as I was before I walked the aisle. But they gave me this little Bible, and um, they said, take this Bible to Florida with you. Find a good church and grow in your faith. And so we're out playing. I wasn't paying that no attention. We're out playing in the street. And this man pulled up. He, st- he got out, and he said, all you kids come over here. Now, in 1975, that would work. I don't suggest that. But if you want to try it, there's a convenience store on the corner. Melvin and Ricker start there. Uh, but get your funeral paid for before you do it. And we all went, up, yes, sir. Yes, sir. 1975, children still knew how to treat adults. And he said, my name, Jack Rickenback. We all called him Fat Jack Rickenback because we thought it rhymed. It doesn't really rhyme, but that's what we called him. He said, and I drive the church bus to the best church around. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on this corner at 9.15, and I want all y'all to be on there, and I'm going to give you some candy. I'm like, candy? Kidding me? He said, I'm going to hide a dollar under one seat. and you Money? Hey, now. I'm coming. So it was a man that grew to be dear to me, a man I'd never met before, a man that y'all loved uh, for a long, long, how long did you know Jack? When did you meet Jack the first time? Early 70s? He became dear to me, and he became the guy that drove me and my sister to church. And I, uh, it was the summer of 1975. I was 11 years old, about to turn 12, and I went to Lake Yale to summer camp with the youth. I wasn't even old enough to go. I, 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 I hadn't gone into the youth group yet. I was in that transition year, and I went, and a big bubble-nosed preacher that used to do this when he preached, he stood up and 
he preached to us kids at the camp, and he was a former pastor at our church. And he said, I dare you to get a Bible and take it to school with you every day this coming year. Well, I don't know about kids in today's world, but if you grew up off Normandy Boulevard like me and Rob did, you can't dare an 11-year-old boy that grew up off Normandy Boulevard to do anything. If he'd have said, I dare you to jump off the house and land on your head, that probably would have tried it. So I'm like, well, Herman Moore dared me. Well, I ain't one to back down from a dare. And every day, now this is the first school I went to in Jacksonville. We, we came over from England, did a couple years in private school in Virginia. Then we came to Jacksonville, Florida. Lived in a nice house. Uh, I don't know if you remember the billboard at the front of the neighborhood on Normandy Boulevard, Mom, is where our bus stop was. It said Country Creek Custom Homes by Richard Dusty starting at $24,999. Dusty Builders is still building homes in North Florida starting at $599,999. And... When he dared us to, to take our Bible to school, I thought the first school I went to was James Weldon Johnson, downtown Jacksonville. It was a wild experience. For, I'd never seen Florida people before. I'm coming from England. This is shocking to me. Um, and so, I, but I'm there. And I take a dare serious. You dare me to do something, I'm, I'm going to go all in. Um, I don't do anything halfway. I didn't carry, I took this little red Bible. And I carried it to the bus stop every day, right here, right down here. On top of my books, I didn't hide it in my life. I carried it to every single class, every class. I carried this little red Bible. People would mock me. Oh, you're a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian, and I am not ashamed. Because Brother Moore said, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. And I'm like, I'm not ashamed. I'm a Christian. I, I wasn't, but he dared me. So... Uh, I'm carrying this Bible to school every day in the seventh grade. I wasn't reading it. Uh, that shows you I wasn't a Christian. I was just carrying it. Um, but I was carrying it and making noise. And then I left James Weldon Johnson Seventh Grade Center, and I went to Stillwell Junior High School where I met Rob um, and carried that Bible to school every day in eighth grade. So all the little Christian people uh, sought me out. Uh, weren't you Catholic at that time? And, and, and Rob was the most morally upright. He was depraved, too, but he was the most morally upright person in our whole circle of friends. Um, and uh, I, I got to know him, and I was carrying my Bible to school. And some of y'all know, if you've had kids, junior high school is a rough time for kids and their morality. And I started meeting people. Um, I, I met a girl one day. Uh, we, we'd had a ba uh, band practice, and she had detention. And so we were standing around after school together. And... She's like, uh, it was Vonda Houston. You remember, did you know Vonda? And uh, she, was, she was gorgeous, and, and she was a part of her at that time. I'm sure she's a fantastic, wonderful human being at this point. But she said, so, your name's Scott? I said, yeah. She said, are you cool? Yeah. She said, do you smoke cigarettes? I said, no. She said, you smoke weed? I said, no. She said, do you drink alcohol? I said, no, I'm a Christian. She said, you ain't cool. She got up and walked away. <laughs> I was being persecuted for a faith I didn't even possess. Because I had my own plan and it didn't work out. 
But my sister has always been my role model. I've always followed her, and she was a grade ahead of me. So she was in, uh, back then, Stillwell was 8th and ninth grade, and high school was only 10th, 11th, and 12th, and she was in the ninth grade. Um, and, uh, you know, she had already been through her first year in junior high school, and I'm just carrying my Bible to school every day. And people are like, you want to go out behind the dugout and smoke after school today? You want to go? And I'm like, nope, I'm a Christian. Nope, I'm a Christian. Nope, I'm a Christian. I'm showing up at West Normandy Baptist Church with the greatest youth pastor uh, that ever lived, Jim Law, Steve Kinlaw. We had a summer, We had people working with RAs, and it was just it was a great time uh, to be a young kid at, at West Normandy Baptist Church on Normandy Boulevard. And then when I got into ninth grade, I didn't carry my Bible to school that year. My sister went on to high school. I'm stuck down in junior high school by myself. And Nadina was the president of everything growing up. Dina was National Honor Society, president of her class government. She was head cheerleader, head flag girl. She was the president of our youth group. We were the newest kids there, and she still was the president of the youth group. See, I met these people when I was 11 years old in 1975, and it's not shocking if you know me that I didn't throw it away because, you know, if I ever had it, I still got it. But I've still got my vacation Bible school certificate from West Normandy Baptist Church in July of 1975 signed by Connie Kite. I just knew it would be important one day, and I, I, I didn't know she was going to be my mother-in-law. But uh, Dina's gone off. She was, she was always, you know, in the same church atmosphere that I was in, but she was, you know, much more outgoing than I was at that time, and she had gone on to high school. Well, I'd stopped carrying my Bible to school. Uh, the pastor left. That was about the time Brother Murray came. And get, we got a new pastor at our church, and he was a little different. And I quit going. And me and my sister were walking around. They were building Country Creek. We were one of the first 20 people that lived in that neighborhood. And we were walking around, looking at different houses. And my sister, look at her, church mom. There she is, just decent Christian woman, godly prayer warrior, soul winner. We, we were sitting down. We'd been, we'd been riding bikes. We sat down, and she said, you want to smoke a joint? I was devastated. This has been my hero. This has been my role model. This, this, this is the, I mean, listen, even in sports, and, and until, uh, until the sixth grade, they picked her for football before they picked me. Red Rover, Red Rover, she was the first one to come over every time. And she said, and I was, I was, I was heartbroken. We're Christians. We don't do that. She said, oh, it's not that bad. Bug does it. We're following advice from somebody named Bug. Pay attention to what people call themselves. If they name themselves Ray Ray or Pookie, don't hang out with them. She said, no, Bug does. See, she had gone on to Ed White High School, and she was hanging around a bunch of devious older people that had money and cars and drugs, and she pulled out. I found out it ain't just drugs this girl's in. She pulled out that little purple bag with the gold rope in it. Some of y'all got one at your house. What was in that bag before she put her weed in it? Crown Royal. 
she pulled out this joint. And I'm like, you know, well, she told me to do it. I'm going to do it. It was the first time I had ever smoked any kind of drug in my life. And then when I got to Ed White High School, church kept getting further and further. I'd, I'd quit church, quit carrying my Bible. I set it on my nightstand, though, as a piece of furniture because um, I'd, I'd just get attached to things. And I never got rid of it. And high school just became ridiculous. My, my life and Dina's life spiraled down so hard. Uh, we were carrying around gallon jugs of moonshine, uh, drinking uh, whole grain alcohol. They call it Everclear now. Uh, it comes with a warning on the bottle. says, it's only to be mixed. Don't drink it straight. It'll burn your esophagus and your stomach. I used to drink so much. I'd go out to the car in hot days at Ed White High School and pick up that jug out of my trunk and just drink between classes out of that. And that led to drugs. That led to being in and out of jail. And I don't want to glorify any of the bad things, but my life fell completely apart. The last time I went to jail, and I went to jail multiple times during that period of my life, and the last time I went to jail, I was sitting in jail, and this, this, I, pray for me, I really hated cops at that time. Hated them, big old fat donut-eating cops. It's all I thought about cops. And, you know, there's some good ones and some bad ones like everything else. But my perception was uh, proven true. I'm sitting in jail in St. John's County. Uh, we'd skipped school and gone to St. Augustine and stole a bunch of stuff and got caught. And sitting in jail, and this big old fat donut-eating cop came at me laughing. He said, you must really be a sad piece of work. And I'm thinking, you got donut crumbs on your chest, fatty. And he said, you must be a sad piece of work. Your mama don't even want you. They had called my mom, and my mom, and listen, my mom, if she said it, she meant it. My mom, she, don't, she doesn't cut no shortcuts, and she, she says what she means, means what she says. She said, I told that boy I'd gotten him out of jail for the last time, and I'd never come to get him out of jail again. And they said, we ain't even supposed to do that, but we're backed up, and you're holding the cell we need, and we're going to release. They released me on my own recognizance at 17 years old to walk home from the St. John County Jail in St. Augustine, Florida in, 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 on a hot day. Um, and our life had gotten really bad. Well, fast forward so I can wrap this up. Graduated in 1981. Listen, you kids that graduated in the last 10 years, congratulations to you. You had to study. Rob probably studied in high school. Did you? Well, Lisa had a dad that beat her. She, you didn't, did you study in high school, Tammy? I didn't even take books to class. I know Gail didn't take books to class. Uh, we, we didn't do anything at school. We, but hang out with our friends. Skip school. Go play at the game room on, on Jamie's and Wilson. Go to the beach. Listen, I'm not advocating that, but school was easy. All you had to do was just be alive and you graduate. I, I graduated. And it was shortly after graduation 1981. I was at a party, big giant keg party uh, on the west side. And I came home, driving home. And some of y'all, y'all don't know this life, and I hope you never know this life. Uh, my hope for everybody is that you get saved young and never experience the, the debauchery that life has to offer because it's not worth it. Uh, but if, if you've been on that side of the fence, uh, you might understand, I'm driving home blind drunk. So I'd taken my shirt off, and I was hanging my head out the window trying to stay awake. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's, a, that's an old school drunk move. So 
I had become such a rebellious teenager, my mother put me out of our house and turned our garage into a bedroom for me because I used to come home. I'd stay gone for days, and then I'd come home. Then I'd stay gone for days, and she didn't want me coming through the main part of the house waking everybody up. So I get to the house by the grace of God, got my shirt in my hand. I'm going to walk through my bedroom garage into the kitchen because I've been smoking weed and drinking, and you know what you got to do now? You got to eat. And I was hungry, and I took my shirt, and as I walked past my bed, I, I threw my shirt at my bed, and half of it landed on the bed, and half of it landed on top of that red box. And I stood there about this far away from it. I just looked at it, and I felt frozen in time. And I hadn't noticed that Bible in years. I certainly hadn't opened it. I certainly hadn't read it. But God drew me from where I was to sit on the edge of my bed and pick this book up. And I picked this book up and I started reading. I always been, um, I always liked reading. I always had a good memory and I knew where some stuff was. And I just started flipping through it and, and looking at the places that were underlined in it. And right there, at 3.45 in the morning, at 69.56 Malden Lane, off Blanding and Townsend Road on the west side of Jacksonville, I got down on my knees. Because I knew, I knew how to lead people to Christ. Our, our, our church taught people how, how to study the Bible, how, how, to, how to lead people to Christ. And I, I knew what you needed to do to get saved. And I got down on my knees and I asked God, and I remember it like it was happening right now. I said, God, please save me for real. I don't know if I've ever even told you this part. I said, not like Jimmy, but like Peter, James, and John. Because Jimmy, Jernigan, was our pastor's oldest son. And he was a drug addict, a scoundrel, no, no, wasn't, wasn't a real Christian. But he knew how to play the role just like I knew how to play the role. And I knew I didn't want to be saved like a role player. I wanted to be saved like people got saved in the Bible. And between 3.30 and 4 o'clock in the morning on July 15, 1981, God arrested everything in me. God showed up in that room, nobody but me and the Holy Ghost, and he saved me. And I just started weeping. I just started, I started singing songs that I'd learned in vacation Bible school. I started singing songs that I'd, I'd learned on the church bus. I started, I started reading. I stayed up all night long and read. And later, later that day, a buddy of mine named Mark Fontaine called me and he said, Hey, man, you know, and me and this guy had sold drugs together for years. And he said, do you remember Ted Boone? You know Ted Boone? I said, of course. I'm a big muscle guy at Normandy Park. Of course I, I remember Ted Boone. He said, well, I lost a bet to him, and I got to go to church with him on Sunday. And I can't go by myself. You're coming with me. He, he started the conversation with, you ain't going to believe what happened to me and Ted Boone. I'm like, you ain't going to believe what happened to me. And he said, well, I ain't got time for that. And he told me. And so he, he said, I need you to go with me because I can't go in there around all them church people without my, without my ride along. So I'm like, awesome. And that Sunday morning, I went to Hillcrest Baptist Church on the corner of Plymouth and LaBelle off Cassett Avenue. And the pastor said, if you want to get saved, come get saved. 
And it's, we were a great church back then. We used to have people all the time, and we need to see this more at Abundant Life, where the church members would go out and lead people to Christ in the marketplace and bring them up on Sunday morning to make their public profession of faith. He said, if you want to come get saved or if you've got saved this week and you'd like to make up, I, I was boom, 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 boom. First time I ever talked to Benny Moore, one of, one of the best, best people in the world. And I, I told him, and they did the same thing again. They, you know, let all the people clap for me. Uh, but this time, it worked. See, I, can't, I, try, I tried several times. I, I've, I've been baptized multiple times. I've prayed prayers multiple times. But the Bible says, you'll only, God said, you'll only find me when you search for me with your whole heart. And on July 15, 1981, that was the change. So my drug-dealing friend, who I still talk to every day, I've led him to Christ three times on his knees. I say, led him to Christ. He prayed prayers that he didn't mean, just like I did when I was younger. But I'm still believing for God to save him. And we go on Sunday morning. I didn't, I didn't see him later that day, but I talked to Ted, and I met Joe Moore. And Joe Moore said, man, you ought to come back to church tonight. I'm like, awesome. That's all I'm about. Because from the time I got saved on July 15th, that whole Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I read the Bible. I've still got journals. I, I read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Lamentations, um, all in one sitting. I was just locked in my room crying and singing and reading the Bible. I didn't have a job. I wasn't going to college. I was just a bum. And God saved me, and I just dove all in. I'm reading this little red Bible. Listen, this, this, is not, this was not the Bible that was popular among you rich kids, Connie. Uh, they all had leather Bibles with, with Bible covers, and, and I'm just this, you know, this dysfunctional kid growing up in a broken home, uh, got a gift. This is called a gift Bible. You buy one at the bookstore for five bucks, and I show up with my Bible, and uh, Joe invited me to come back, so I came back. I met Connie and, and Mike Pelham and Eddie Pitts and Renee Parrish and Tammy Whaley and a bunch of the young people, and they embraced me. Let me tell you something. You need to embrace the people you see in life. They, they need you to love on them, while, especially inside the house of God. People don't need to come and feel alienated like they could never fit in because I already felt that. But they embraced me. And so I went back on Sunday night, and then uh, they said, um, well, tomorrow night we're having a youth Bible study. And Bob Lynch and Tommy Amon taught a Bible study, and so I from salvation, I show up on church Sunday morning, make my public profession today. Sunday night, back at church. Monday night, youth Bible study. Then the people Monday night said, well, we're going to watch the men play softball. Hillcrest had a, a, a national-ranked softball team at the time for their men's blue team, and they had multiple teams. And I'm like, hey, I'm all in. I got no job. I'm not going to go hang out with my druggy friends. I'm, I'm a Christian now. And I knew that I thought I was a Christian before, but now this became real to me. So Tuesday night, went to watch men play softball. Wednesday night, midweek Bible study. They told me midweek Bible study. Tomorrow night is Thursday. On Thursday night, we go out door-to-door soul winning. And I'm like, count me in. 7 o'clock, I, I show up. Uh, they, they, they put me with uh, Robin Fronts. Uh, you know Robin. And we went out, and he did all the talking. See, they, they, they taught us have a speaking partner and a praying partner. I didn't know what to say, so I'm sitting there listening to him. But Thursday night, I, first week of salvation, Thursday night, soul winning visitation. Then they told me that night, they're like, well, we have a thing on Friday and Saturday night called the Peacemaker, and it's for 
single people to come and with good music and food and a great Bible message. So I'm like, I don't have a job. I don't want to be around my old friends. Y'all, y'all in my life. And listen, every night that I was with that group of people, before we left, we prayed together. I mean, when people that got saved in the 80s got saved for real. We, we didn't just hang out and say, you know, deuces. We would pray together, and we would read Bible together. So Friday night, peacemaker. Saturday night, peacemaker. Sunday morning, back to church. Sunday night, back to church. Monday night, youth Bible study. Tuesday night, men's softball game. Wednesday night, church. Thursday night, soul win and visitation. Friday, Saturday night, back to peacemaker. Sunday morning, back to church. Sunday night, back to church. Monday night, youth Bible study. Tuesday night, men's softball game. Wednesday night, youth Bible, uh, midweek Bible study. Thursday night, soul win and visitation. Friday night, Saturday night, peacemaker. Sunday morning, back to church. Sunday night, back to church. Monday, youth Bible study. And then the car slammed on the brakes. There was no men's softball game. And this group of young people, I mean, we were fired up for the Lord. And we're like, oh, my goodness, we've been together every night for three and a half weeks. What are we going to do? I went to church every day for the, the, for, for the first three and a half weeks and, and got to meet a whole new group of people. And we decided, well, we're not just going to not hang out. We didn't have the Internet. We had three te- – well, I think by that time we had gotten the, the, the uh, Fox 13 or 30, whatever it was. We had three or four channels of TV to watch. We didn't have serious radio. We had to go make friends and hang out with friends. So we said, well, why don't we just meet at the Normandy Mall? And we parked our cars in a circle. We sat on the hoods of our cars, and we read the Bible to each other. That, that, that's how I came into Christ. Then it was just back to church, back to church, back to church, back to church. And from there, God gave me a desire, and I want to finish better at the end than I've done over the last 17 years, but the desire has never gone away. Later that year, God gave me the desire to do what I'd read in the Bible, that Ezra and the Levites stood up on a pulpit of wood before the people and read the Scripture and caused it to make sense. And I've spent my entire adult life reading this Scripture to people and trying to cause it to make sense. God called me into Christian ministry and just grew me from there. I don't know what your testimony is, but I do know this. If you don't know what your testimony is, you don't have one. See, when I talk to people, I don't ask them where they go to church. I ask them, are you born again? And I get this response more than anything. I hope so. I'm trying. Listen, if you're trying or if you hope so, you're not saved. The Bible says in 1 John, these things have I written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life. Uh, Listen, you might not remember. It might not have been as dramatic as mine. I can take you to the spot on Lambing Road right up here off 103rd Street and show you where I poured out two gallons of grain alcohol and a bottle of whiskey in the creek. Uh, God eradicated all that from me, day one, quit, gave it, gave, gave it up. I was so changed, my mom started freaking out because I started doing chores at the house, never done chores at the house. I started doing laundry, never done laundry. I started folding other people's clothes, never did that. My mom called the Hillcrest Baptist Church said, she said, nobody has church every night for a month. What have y'all done to my son and why are you brainwashing him? See, you can't make some people happy. I mean, she, she, she had been begging me for years, son, please move. I can't take you anymore. And I, I told her in my unsaved hatred, I told her, I ain't leaving and you can't make me. I can live here for free. And it's just evil. 
God saved me, changed me. One day, Dina had gone away to college. She came back. She saw me folding clothes. She said, I can't take this anymore. What the heck is wrong with you? I shared with her what God had done for me. It wasn't uh, much, much later than that that Dina prayed to receive Christ. Then we started working on mom. Now Dina's going to church every night. Me and Dina calling each other every day on landlines because that's all we had, sharing what we had read in the Bible. I got a nugget out of the Bible. I got to share it with you. And then we started working on my mom. Some of y'all have experienced this. You start telling your parents that they need to get saved, they might get angry with you. My mom was like, you can't tell me anything about God. I took you to church when you were three days old. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And my mom was hardened to the, to the gospel. But we were praying for her. We were praying for her. We were praying for her. And one day she agreed to come to church with us. And I was like some of y'all were. I was misguided, and I was young in my faith. And when I walked in and I found out Brother Moore wasn't going to be preaching that day, and little white-haired Connie Johnson, I don't know if you remember Connie Johnson, uh, he was preaching. I thought, oh, my mom's one chance to hear the God. How many of y'all know it's got nothing to do with the preacher and everything to do with God and this word that is alive? <laughs> Me and Dean are looking at each other because, you know, if you've been in church long enough, you know when that invitation time's coming. You start seeing all the old, serious people bow their heads, and they're praying. They ain't even told people to start praying yet. And me and Dina, we just look at each other, and we're praying, and they tell us to stand up. We're singing a song. My mom stepped out from the pew we were sitting. She walked down that aisle at the same aisle I walked down, at the same aisle Dina walked down, and she prayed to receive Jesus Christ, and God changed her life and saved her and made her a brand-new person. Several years later, I took my little brother, who's in heaven now. He died on Christmas Eve in a motorcycle accident on uh, Christmas Eve 2001. Several years later, he was with me at a church service at the Potter's house. And they gave the invitation. He walked down the aisle. and he was, I still got it written in my Bible, the date, and under it says Mark got saved, and I put the date on it. See, because the Bible says that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will be saved, and so will your house. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in your family is going to get saved, but it means if the same way you got saved, they can get saved too. And I thank God that everybody in my family has given their life to Jesus Christ and found true meaning in life. Because here's the reality. I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know how worse life was without Christ until I found out how great life was with Christ. And some of you, you know that you're not really saved. And you know that it's not well with your soul. But you keep holding on. Listen, it doesn't matter how many hours you've walked, how many prayers you've prayed. Somebody, yeah, this. <laughs> how, how many of y'all saw me nod at Victor three times? I love this man. I thank God for his help. I kept walking aisles and praying prayers, but I never got saved because I never searched for God with my whole heart. But when I did, he changed me from the inside out. And nobody had to call me and say, uh, we missed you in church on Sunday. Because I was there. Nobody had, to call, nobody had to call me and say, you need to start reading your Bible and praying. Because that's all I wanted to do. Nobody had to tell me that you, uh, you, you ought to start giving your money to God because... I'd found the greatest thing that I, I'd ever found. I never knew what real love was till God loved me. Some of you do. I'm not saying you can't know love without God, but I didn't. And God 
changed me. He changed my sister, my mom, and my brother. And even like Paul told Agrippa, when he said, you really think I'm going to become a Christian just right now so quick? He said, I sure hope so. If you're here today and you're not truly born again, listen, walking an aisle won't save you. You can walk all the aisles that you can find. Praying a prayer. There ain't no prayer in the Bible you can pray to get saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's how you get saved. And when I put real faith in Christ, I came alive for the first time ever. See, it's easy for me to understand what new life is. It's easy for me to understand I'm not how I used to be because I don't do the things I used to do. I'm still a work in progress. I failed God so many times, but he doesn't give up on his children. And I want to read a verse of scripture in closing. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And God's power can save you today. If you would have asked me in uh, any grade school after third grade, junior high, high school, as wild as I was living, if you'd asked me if I wanted to get saved, I'd have told, oh, no, I'm saved. I got saved in the third grade. I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer. I had no relationship with God. I didn't love God more than I loved myself. I, I, had, I had no desire to read the word or pray or serve God or worship him. I didn't talk to God when no one was looking. But once he saved me, I stepped right into John 112. It says, as many as receive him, to them give he power to become the children of God. You can't work your way into being a Christian. You need God to give you power to become his child. The, 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 the Bible tells us that all we have to do is believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. See, everybody believes in Jesus. But do you believe what the Scripture says? See, the Bible says that the payment for sin, the wages of sin, is death. Punishment. Well, what did Jesus do on the cross? He died. He died so that we could live. He took our sin in his own body. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I talked to you earlier a long time ago when I started this about defining moments. I want everybody in this room right now, hear me good because I'm done. I want everybody in this room to have a defining moment today. Whether you're saved, whether you're lost, whether you're closer to God than you've ever been, or whether you're straying from God, I want you to let today be a defining moment in your life. You can fool the preacher. You can fool your family. You ain't going to be able to fool God on Judgment Day. The Apostle Paul knew God in a unique way. And when he talked about the judgment, he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, I persuade me. He's like, get, get yourself together because judgment's coming. Everybody in this room one day is going to die. The Bible says it's appointed unto people once to die, and after this, the judgment. When you stand before God, and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? The only answer that's going to work is because I believe that you sent your son to take the payment for my sin. And he died, and he rose again so that I can live too. And if you've never 
been born again. I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm not talking about getting turning over a new leaf. I'm not talking about adding some religious practice to your life. I'm talking about having a life-changing, supernatural experience with a miracle-working God who can give you a desire to be everything that he wants you to be. See, some of you are trying to be what God wants you to be, but you're like a square peg trying to go in a round hole. It's just not fitting because you don't have it. See, Christianity is different than religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach up and grab hold of God, but Christianity is God reaching down and grabbing hold of man and pulling him up. And you need to let God grab hold of you today. And I hope that you'll let today be a defining moment in your life. If you're here and you're a Christian, What's it going to take to get you to start serving God the way you should? When are you going to start being the, 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 the disciple that God called you to be? When are you going to start being the soul winner that God called you to be? If you're here and you're not saved, you're only one prayer away from being perfectly right with God. One of the greatest moments about getting saved is, for me, was when I felt for the first time in my life that I was clean before a holy God. My shame and my stain was gone, and I felt accepted by the only God that there is. And I want everybody to experience that. The greatest invitation I ever saw was the night our, our, our choir director, Archie Jackson, came down off the aisle while we were singing the invitation song. And he took Brother Moore by the hand, and he started crying. Been singing all over the world. He traveled all over singing with Jay Strack. Uh, Jay preached, Archie sang. He knew church better than anybody. He was on staff. But he'd never truly been born again, and it was eating away at him. Some of y'all need to do that today. See, I, I, wish, I wish every pastor in the world would get saved. I wish every elder in this church would be saved. I wish every deacon in this church would be saved. I wish everybody on the praise and worship team would be saved. I wish all the ushers and the greeters and the security and the teachers and the volunteers and the food and clothing ministry, I wish that you would get saved. Because when you stand before God at the judgment day, you're going to be out of chances. You're either going to be saved or you're not. And I think the scariest part in all the Bible to me is Matthew chapter 7. It says, Jesus said, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. In your name I cast out devils and did many wonderful works. And then Jesus said, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Of course he knows who you are. But does he have, do you have intimate knowledge of him? Are you truly born again? See, Christianity changes you from the inside out. Religion makes you want to change from the outside in. You're only one prayer away from finding new life in Christ. Bow your head and pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me and keeping me. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now that you would draw people to yourself. You said no one can come unless you draw them, God. So I pray right now you do what only you can do. With every head bowed and every eye still closed, I don't want anyone looking around. This is going to be quick. I, I, just want, I just want to say if you're here with no one looking but me and you'd say, Scott, I don't think I'm a Christian. Or Scott, I know I'm not a Christian. But I want to be. Please pray for me that I'll make my decision for Christ soon. If, if, if you would at least be willing to say, uh, Pastor, Pray, pray for me. I know I'm not a Christian, but I, 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 I want to become one at some point. With no one looking but me, would you just slip your hand up, put it up, put it up, okay, all right, all right, okay, all right. Anybody else? Okay, you can put your hand down. Those of you who raised your hand 
And those of you who knew you should have raised your hand, listen to me for just a minute. You don't have to, you don't have to do a whole bunch of tricks and, and things to get saved. You can get saved right now. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, if you will call on the name of the Lord, he will save you. And if you'd like to get saved, I want to pray a prayer. This prayer is not magic, and this prayer won't save you, but God knows if you mean it or not. And that's where the difference happens. Some of you prayed this prayer before, and it didn't take. Some of you have prayed this prayer and, and are serving in ministry, and you know it's, it, it's still, it isn't true biblical salvation. So many people serve in churches that don't have true biblical salvation. And I want you to find that today, and if you'd be willing, to become a Christian today. I just want you to pray silently where you am. I'm going to pray out loud. You just repeat it in your mind. The Bible says God can hear the words, the thoughts in your mind. So as I pray this out loud, you repeat it if you want to get saved. I'm not talking about rededicating your life. I'm not talking about uh, becoming a better person. If you believe that you're not saved but you want to get saved, I just want you to repeat this prayer silently in, in your head as I pray it out loud. Just, just pray in your heads, dear God, I believe in you, and I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. Please, God, forgive me of my sins and make me a real Christian. Save me and fill me with your spirit. Help me, God, to be who you created me to be. When no one looking around but me, if you just prayed that prayer or something like it, and, 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 and you meant it, I just want you to slip your hand up and say, I just prayed that prayer, preacher. I, okay, all right, okay, all right. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me say this with, with, with everybody looking at me. I'm not going to have you come down front. Usually we'd have you come down front, but it's way too late. I'm not going to have you come down front, but let me say this. I said it earlier. Jesus said, whoever believes in me should not be ashamed. And he said, if you'll confess him in front of people, he'll confess you before his father on judgment day. I want to help you put this salvation in concrete right now. If you're here and you didn't just pray that prayer, you prayed it and you meant it. And you believe that God saved you and because his word says so. And you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ today. If you prayed that prayer and you are not ashamed, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do exactly. This is going to be your first opportunity as a real Christian to do what God said. He said, confess me in front of people. Here's your opportunity right now. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you believe God saved you, whether you raised your hand or you didn't before, if you prayed to ask God to save you and you meant it and you're not ashamed, I want you to stand up on your feet right now where you are. I'm not going to bring you out. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Anybody else? This is your time. Jesus wants to declare you a Christian. Will you, he wants to stand up for you. Will you stand up for him? Let me say something to every one of you. You need to get involved in a good church. A good church isn't necessarily a church with great trappings around it. It's a church that teaches this book and declares Jesus Christ as the only way to God. And I want you to get signed up for baptism. The Bible says that you need Jesus. When Jesus went to get baptized, John said, I don't want to baptize you. If anything, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, 
it must be so. We must do all that the Father requires. God requires us to make a public profession of faith in water baptism. And I want you to get signed up. We're having baptism. When is it, Dina? Next week? The 30th of the month. I want you to get signed up, or even if you don't sign up, I want you to come. And let me say this to you. I want you to hear me good. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I don't care what you feel on the inside of you right now. I don't care what happens to you when you walk outside this door. The Bible says that salvation belongs to God. And what God gives to you is eternal. And if you got saved today, I want you to write it down somewhere, and I want you to remember You might not remember the date if you don't write it down, and the date's not that important. You might not remember 15 years ago every detail about this sermon. But if you got saved today, the change has already started happening in you, and you're going to remember. I went to a little church on a dirt patch, and God saved me. I love you. I want everybody in the room that's a Christian, I want you to pray pray for me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Fourteen people raised their hand. You tell somebody, if you, if you ask God to save you, you go out and tell the world that you confess Jesus. I want every real Christian in the room, let's, let's bow our heads. I want us to pray for this group of people. God, I thank you for these seven that have stood up to declare you. God, I thank you for giving them faith to believe. I pray you fill them with your spirit to overflow, God. And I pray that you would anoint them to do what you've called them to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.